You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefer, and today I have two UC Berkeley students, Ash and Rohan, and they have launched a Twitter bot checker that has really taken off. We're going to talk to them about how they're battling fake news. Welcome a couple of UC Berkeley students. Uh, what year are you guys? Uh, we, we're juniors. It's Ashbot and Rohan Pate. And um, you've come to my attention because you came up with an innovative Twitter bot checker. And I assume you've probably come up with a lot of other things, too, since then. But I wanted to talk to you about your lab, Robot Lab, which combines <laughs> your names. That's really great. <laughs> so tell me, first of all, what is a bot? Yeah, so one of the things that we've been really looking at uh, was on Twitter. There are a lot of these accounts that try really hard to be human, but actually have bot-like behavior behind it. And there are a lot of bots that are really harmless on Twitter. A lot of them are actually say that they're bots, and they actually just tweet out maybe like every word in the English language as an automation exercise. But there are some other bots on Twitter that are actually pretty dangerous, and they end up pushing or retweeting a lot of these political propaganda memes or topics. And a lot of other people can actually see these bot networks, spread this information, look at the information, think that, oh, look, my friends are sharing it. There's a it's lot of legitimate. people here. It's legitimate. Yeah. In fact, it's actually been propagated by you know hundreds or maybe even thousands, thousands of bot-like profiles. And it's basically artificially creating this virality on Twitter. When did you come to the realization that this was a, a problem that you had to find a solution to? Yeah. So in terms of our background, we started out trying to figure out trying to identify fake news computationally. The way we approached it was trying to figure out where fake news was being spread. So we actually went on Twitter, started like looking at the different accounts that were spreading fake news, and we started noticing that they didn't look human at all. They were tweeting out every minute. They were they seemed to be tweeting out every hour of the day. And so all of a sudden we're like, this this seems to be this seems to not be human. And so that's sort of how we got into this entire. Uh, I read that the um, what's the guy's name Yiannopoulos who was here. Oh yeah, was that the impetus? Yeah, Milo was definitely an impetus uh, in the sense that like that's sort of how we got into like the political uh, space. We were both at the protest, and while we were there, we like. Uh, we realized that there was so much misinformation that was being spread uh, about the protests, and that's sort of how we like started getting acquainted with the space. So you are studying what here at UC Berkeley? I'm an interdisciplinary studies field major, so I'm studying like quite a few different majors. So everything from sociology to philosophy to like computer science. Oh, that's a nice mix. What about mm-hmm. you? I'm studying computer science, electrical engineering. So mainly in the engineering side and doing a little bit of part of Berkeley's research. So I read that you call yourself data scientists. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. So in terms of uh, uh, data science, we're looking at a lot of statistics. Uh, data science is a very sexy word for like uh, statistical analysis. So we're looking at uh, a lot of text. We're looking at a lot of numbers, and uh, we're trying to make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. And that's that's essentially what we do as uh, data scientists. Okay. You started this lab. Walk me through your process. What did you need to do first after you realized you want to get truth in the information space? Yeah. So uh, it started off as just us, you know, working on projects, basically just. Be, being like, what what can we do? Uh, we're computer scientists. We can solve any problem. Like, we can try to use our technical knowledge to like solve any problem. Were you going to use it for a class project, or is this outside of? This class? is completely outside of class project. Completely outside of class. Uh, on nights, we're like, hey, we should be doing something about this. Uh, in fact, one of the interesting things we saw was on Facebook. Facebook announced that they're going to be doing something about uh, solving fake news and like trying to detect it and trying to stop spreading it. And then right below that, we saw 
instances of you know fake news still being spread by a couple of like friends and profiles. And so we were just like, hey, there must be some, there must be something to be done here. And taking matters to our own hands, we were looking at, hey, we can use our data science and machine learning that we learned at Berkeley to try to create our own uh, algorithms to help solve this problem. And so what do you do with them? I mean, explain to me. I, I use Twitter very rarely. How would I use your, what do you call your bot checker? We call it botcheck.me. And tell me how I would use that. Walk me through how I can protect my account. Botcheck.me is actually a website you can visit. And it uh, has a couple dashboards which talk about the, basically talk about the statistics of the current bot network, how they're acting, what are the most recent topics, what are they talking about. And there's also a search bar where you can enter in any Twitter username. And once you enter in a Twitter username, it will actually set up to our server. We'll run statistical analysis behind the scenes. We'll be looking at the tweets. We'll be looking at the how often they tweet, the tweet timestamps, uh, the number of likes, basically looking at the profile's network. And we can accurately determine whether that profile or not is a bot or a human. How accurately? Yeah. So recently, when we first launched, we were able to getting we were getting about 93% of high-confidence profile bot accounts. And then since then, since we have a bunch of feedback from the community, we've actually... Uh, had about 50,000 users and over 500,000 accounts classified. And that number has just risen since then because it's been taking all this input from humans and learning. And so now that's that number is about 96 to 97%. That's not bad. I think it's a great start for understanding the bot network on Twitter, especially since there's already nothing out there. And uh, just having all that information out there really ed- can educate a user whether an account or not is We're, actually spreading when you, human stuff. When you, get, uh, when you need this data that, to do your analysis – do you have to pay for that from Twitter? How do you get your information? Yeah. So in terms of uh, getting the information, Twitter actually has a public API. And so we're actually able to- And what to... is an API? So API is essentially a, it's sort of like hitting a URL to uh, get access to uh, information in a way that we can run data analysis on. Um, so Twitter makes a bit of their service available for developers like us to actually uh, take advantage of and like uh, use for statistical analysis. Wow. I didn't know Twitter provided that free. So- they're taking kind of a passive stance, it sounds like, and letting developers. Why do you think they're taking a passive stance and not doing this themselves? We're actually a little bit confused, uh, considering that we're two college students that, that have been able to like build something that users very clearly want. The response that we've got has been absolutely insane. But that being said, Twitter is a multi-billion dollar company with hundreds, if not thousands of engineers. And we think they should totally be doing more uh, when this problem is so, so important. Um, and uh, a problem that we all face. Well, uh, have you talked to anyone there? What do you think is the reason? Is it because they need the advertising, promotional, they don't want to put any restraints on business or what? We're not entirely sure, but uh, one thing that has been pretty fascinating is uh, Twitter hasn't really responded to our comments, to our uh, to us reaching out to them, but also when we recently gave a talk at Stanford, and I think Twitter was supposed to be there as well, and when they found out we were going to be speaking, I think they dropped out of the talk. And so, like, uh, we're not we're not entirely <laughs> sure, like, what's happening. We haven't really heard, heard too much back, but, uh, yeah, we are definitely very curious. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like Facebook and Twitter and maybe other, they're, they're taking kind of a passive approach like this problem's going to go away. Yeah. I mean, from, I guess, one theory that we have, and we don't want to speculate too much, it is a very complex area for them to be in, uh, especially considering even when Facebook tried to do, uh, try to prevent fake news, they actually got uh, in trouble for seeming uh, anti-conservative. And so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of this pushback against Facebook or Twitter seeming politically polarized. Uh, if they were to take a uh, position one way or, or the other. One side or the other would accuse them. Exactly, yeah. After all your research, do you think that one side of the political spectrum is using these bots more than others, or is it pretty equal? In terms of how these bots 
come out in terms of politics. We've actually noticed bots on both sides of the political spectrum. It's been actually very, uh, very, very scary. We've seen examples such as like the Parkland shootings when bots were tweeting out about gun control from both sides of, of the debate. And uh, what this actually creates is uh, even more of a divide. And on top of that, the thing that, again, scares us is these bots are able to sort of influence the conversation. So in the case of Parkland, where it could have been a conversation uh, where we would have found unity around mental health, it became a conversation where we fought over uh, gun control. These are these are the different areas where we actually find bot networks incredibly scary in terms of like their effect on how we how we talk about certain it's, issues. It, well, I mean, how do we know the truth? And and why is that important? Yeah, uh, there's there's recently an MIT study that came out that said uh, fake news actually spreads uh, much faster and much broader than real news. And they looked at uh, data from the 2016 elections. And I, I think the core uh, thesis that we took away from that was fake news is in in some ways more sexy, more interesting to read, and thus it it spreads virally a lot a lot easier. That sort of becomes this problem where it's inherently spread spreading a lot faster. Yet it comes with all these different problems that that is baked into uh, being fake, mm-hmm. and so we're we're sort of struggling with that. Like, how do we incentivize people to read the truth, and also how do we stop fake news from spreading in the first place? It's an interesting question because education of most people in the country is not that great anymore, and so they're not learning how to critically think, and so there's a reliance instead of doubting something or going deeper. There's just a superficial like, okay, that that's the truth. So if you don't have critical thinking skills, you're not going to be able to to know the difference, I think. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. Like the way we see it internally is like we almost see it like a mind virus uh, when, when it comes to like a lot of these ideas in the sense that they sort of spread in the same ways that viruses do. They uh, they infect a, uh, a few like initial people. They start spreading their hosts. Um, and, and the analogy t- seems to just like uh, work per- like almost perfectly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the other side of that is once something is out there. You can't put it back in the bottle. Even yeah. if somebody says, no, 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 it's been proven to be wrong. Yeah. It's already in my head somehow. Yeah, it's incredibly hard to quarantine, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Did you have many challenges when you developed this product? And if you did, what what were they? Just from a technical standpoint, looking through all the uh, basically statistical models, and you have to actually basically teach a computer on how to learn what a bot and what a human is. And so it does take a little bit of uh, engineering time behind it and a little bit of research to understand how exactly can we make this computer most effectively learn uh, what the difference between a bot and human is. And then even then, as soon as you have that kind of very powerful model, it's basically a kind of a game to figure out how can we best release this model out to the public so that they can understand what's going on in their network and how can they use it the most effectively versus becoming a cat and mouse game of like just people calling each other bots and you're a bot, you're not a bot, and then kind of making like a flame war based on that. And that's something we really wanted to avoid. You just want to increase, make people more aware of their entire social network without actually making people start calling each other names and saying, hey, you're how, a bot. How did you do that? Yeah, yeah. So what we what we wanted to do is we actually made a tool and we tried to be very careful with here. Uh, we tried to basically say, hey, it's a very good tool to help you understand what you're talking to. Is it a bot or is it a uh, human? Are you arguing with specifically someone who actually has an opinion on this versus an automated you know, account? And uh, our tool is very good at just giving that information, saying, hey, this is likely to be a bot, but like, hey, make sure, be warned that this is this is likely not to be a human. And so it gives that user that information, just say, hey, be a little bit more careful here. If you're arguing and like, constantly arguing, nothing's really making uh, any difference, then, hey, just be warned that this could be a bot. So if I'm uh, in conversation with something that may be a bot, what would I see? Some of them are automated at the other end, so they 
you can tell the answers are just automated answers. There's different levels of bot to the, uh, that we've seen. So some are specifically completely all automated, and some of them are, comp- are like maybe a mixture. So there's a human behind the scenes, and there could be some automation aspects to the actual itself. And so sometimes you'll see, you'll be able to like message a bot and you won't get any response back because they're not set up for automation for that. Sometimes you'll be able to get a response back because there's someone controlling it behind the scenes. And it's kind of hard to tell. One of the true tales that we can tell from just maybe like the profile is that you can see that there's a lot of retweets. Uh, tweets happen very quickly. Uh, tweets happen every few, like few minutes or maybe once every minute, happening pretty often, close to 24 hours in a day. It doesn't really stop. Or maybe specifically retweeting the same sources. And those are all kind of true tail signs that you can uh, check as a human to see if are this account or not as a bot. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today I'm speaking with founders of Robot Labs, two UC Berkeley students using artificial intelligence to create a bot buster called Bot Check Me. Battling fake news. It seems like all of these services started out with a pretty idealistic philosophy, you know, whether it was Facebook or Twitter. And, and you know, the uprising in Egypt, Twitter was great for that. I see it as being a real great tool for journalists who are out in remote areas. It didn't take long, though, for it to become co-opted. What are you using now besides Twitter? What do you think is the best social media tool right now? To answer your question, I, I think you brought up a, a really interesting word, and that, that's tool. I think that's totally what these things are, right? They aren't necessarily morally right or morally wrong. It's it's a tool and can be used in a variety of different ways. And so with Twitter, yes, it, it's been beautiful for things like uh, like protests. Arab and like Springs. Arab Springs. Um, but that being said, it's also a tool that can be used to create dissent, to create polarization, to create the spread of misinformation. And so like in, in that perspective, like when it comes down to like what is the best social network, I think all these social networks are tools and it's how we use them and how we like uh, receive our information from them. Um, so it's kind of hard to like answer that question. Do you feel like you were successful and that you're moving on to new things? Are you still working on this Twitter bot? So in terms in terms of uh, this problem, the way we've seen it is the first step in solving a problem is identifying it. And so that's that's sort of what we've done with uh, Bot Check Me. Like over the past several months, I think society as a whole has become a lot more aware of these problems. And uh, we're really happy that we've we played a role in terms of like uh, helping that uh, happen. But that being said, I guess the next step for us uh, in terms of things that we're working on, one, we're publishing a report that essentially is going to talk about like and identify a lot of the different phenomenons that are going on just so that we can start becoming more aware. When, what kind of phenomena? Uh, for example, like we, we see these things called DMAs, which are uh, distributed misinformation attacks. And so that's sort of what these bot networks are. They're essentially like a distributed way of like a lot of these bots trying to spread uh, misinformation. Um, and so like different concepts like that, we're trying to like make available for the public so that we all of a sudden have understanding for them. And uh, I guess the next step after that is trying to understand, once we understand how to detect these problems, how to prevent them um, so that they don't happen again in the future. And so we're working with groups like the Democratic Party, for example, the Democratic National Committee, along with uh, different groups uh, to make sure that these sort of things don't happen. Are again. you working with the Republican Party, too? Uh, we've been talking to uh, a couple different campaigns. We haven't had a chance to like uh, have a similar conversation with the Republican National Committee, but we hope to. So you're moving on to new areas. I read that you guys have like a blackboard with 20,000 apps on it. I know you're busy with school. You have to graduate, too. But um, what is your next project? Or are you just wrapped up completely in what you just told me? 
Yeah, so I, I guess we can't we can't comment too much on like the different uh, projects that we have uh, behind the scenes, just because we have a lot of these different confidential like relationships that we can't necessarily talk about yet. But that being said, uh, this is a problem that we care very deeply about and want to have a huge impact. And so we are actively every single day we we spend uh, time working on uh, coming up with solutions to make sure these sort of problems don't happen again in the future. I think it's so wonderful that you are so committed to this idea. How does that happen? You both grew up in San Jose area, correct? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you've known each other a very long Were you neighbors? Tell me about your backgrounds. Yeah, actually, Ash and I were basically childhood friends. We met each other in about middle school. And since then, we've been pretty good friends. We saw each other as like, uh, you know, in high school and like basically school as like competitors, just a little competitive whenever we try to like have tests and stuff. But I mean, for the most part, we've been really, really good friends. We've had cross country together. We used to do robotics together back in high school. Robotics, and so, okay. Yeah. So we've always had an interest and passion in technology, and that's just pretty much grew, grown from there. And since when we got both gone to Berkeley, we were like, we have to be a housemates. We have to be a roommates. And so that happened. How does that work out where you're rooming together and you also have a business together? Is That, some, that must be challenging sometimes. <laughs> the thing that's really interesting about this entire thing is Rohan and I have been building projects since we were like teenagers. Uh, what what sort of happened was over the past like eight, eight or so years, every year I guess the world just started listening a little bit more, and like it's just been very validating to to work on these projects that we like build for our friends, and now like we have thousands, tens of thousands of people that use us every single day. And how did you get the word out? You're I know you grew up in the Silicon Valley, so you probably even run into people that are in this business. How did you make the approach? I don't know. How did you get your support? We were working in a space with a huge problem and no solutions. And so it was, it was, I think it was a byproduct of like us being at the right place in the right time. We're in Berkeley working on computer science in one of the most interesting political climates probably in history, like in U.S. history. And so like I think there's a lot of uh, a huge component of luck uh, to everything that's going on. And yeah, we're, we're incredibly lucky to be where we are. Do you feel like the tech field is it's a kind of a crisis point right now? I mean, I deleted my Facebook account. I mean, I just feel like. It's not anything but a promotional tool. It's it's great for marketing, you know, we're companies. But for me personally, I just, I don't know. It's not what I thought it would be. They're definitely getting pushed back right now. There's room for new companies. I think we're reevaluating our techno-optimism. I think for the past, like, uh, generation, we've been very, very optimistic about what technology can do. And in many ways, we built these amazing tools that uh, let us be connected to each other, uh, get access to information that we've in a way that we've never had. I have a phone in my pocket that I can ask any question to, and it'll give me the answer in a couple of seconds. And like, that, that's an amazing place to be in in terms of like uh, a point in history. But that being said, with tools come like the positives and negatives. And I think uh, we're at this point where we we've started reevaluating the uh, what what technology really means to us and. That being said, I don't think it's anything to, to diss on technology. I think it's more so just natural progression of things. You're both studying artificial intelligence here? That, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Well, what is that like? Can you explain what you're studying here in terms of artificial intelligence and how you use that in your products? Artificial intelligence is a, a like really fancy word for uh, getting computers to like essentially work off of heuristics and like do uh, essentially automate uh, certain tasks. AI or artificial intelligence is a very broad term that like covers everything from like machine learning to 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 a lot of the simple apps that we use every single day. So uh, maybe uh, artificial intelligence is ma- basically used to make decisions for on their very large data sets. So on an instance where a human might be overwhelmed with a large amount of data, like gigabytes and you know pentabytes of data, artificial intelligence is a very good way of 
uh, basically sorting that in an a organizable way, ways that computers can understand very well, and then make high-level decisions that are you know, statistically probable to yield the highest result at the end. And that's, this is a very powerful tool. I mean, a lot of robots and a lot of self-driving cars, in fact, kind of use this tool, get a lot, gather a lot of data, and then make decisions based off that. And they can get some high-accuracy results in the end, better than a human could. Right, except for those few accidents. Exactly. I mean, this is all process and development, yeah. You've been recognized by Wired Magazine and CBS News. What other accomplishments are you really proud of since you've gotten into the space of protecting all of us from fake news? I think uh, the accomplishment that we're most proud of is the users that we've been able to like work with and uh, the amount of accounts that we've classified. Twitter classified about 6,000 accounts when they came out and talked in front of Congress on, I think it was November 1st or October 31st last year. To date, we've classified over half a million accounts. Just having like a scope of that, that's that's what uh, we get up every morning excited about. That's that's sort of what uh, what makes all of this so validating. If someone approached you, your lab, and said, we want to buy you for, you know, a billion dollars or whatever. Would you do it? I think at the end of the day, like, we're, we're chasing after this goal. So, like, uh, we'd evaluate all the options that we would have in terms of, like, what uh, brings us closest to, like, achieving that goal. And so, like, that's sort of the... So that's uh, not your goal. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not our goal, yeah. Our goal is to, like, uh, solve the problem that we're uh, working on. You are natural innovators. Do you feel like this area has a lot of natural innovators because of where you grew up? Or is it your family's? What do you think it takes to truly be an, an innovator like that? Is it the knowledge you've learned? or? Yeah, I think to, in order to be like an innovator in this area, you really need to understand where are the problems being set and where the problems are uh, in society and how it affects people. And then with, once you get a good understanding of that, you can actually start developing some interesting technology. And in the case of Ash and I and uh, Botchak and me, we've actually spent months just studying fake news beforehand before we wrote a single line of code, we studied how it spreads and how it looks at what are the previous uh, research papers on this area and looking at specifically how is Facebook and Twitter already trying to tackle this problem already. And I think that's really important to un- truly understand the area before you go and delve in, before you can just say, hey, tech can solve that, or hey, just add a little line of code. Artificial intelligence can solve that. Uh, it really takes a bit of understanding of the problem space in order to understand what is the best way to attack the problem. What about money? Uh, did you have to get funding to do this work, or are you just doing it? Is it just your own blood, sweat, and tears? Yeah, so a funny story on that is it's our completely our blood, sweat, and tears. So, like, we've been so, like, so frugal about, like, every expense. We're supporting, like, uh, so many users, and, like, we have to figure out how to, like, make it super cost-efficient. Uh, a lot of startups don't necessarily have to, like, worry about, like, where do we get money, or, like, uh, they, they raise funding. We, we've completely, uh, we haven't raised a single cent of capital. It, it's been just kind of absurd, like, all the different efficiencies and, like, hacks that we put together to make this entire service run as as cheap as possible on, on us so that we can provide it for free for the users. So how, how would you make money if you're providing it free? Would you have to run ads on it eventually? What's your model? Yeah. So in terms of like monetizing this, uh, we think there. This is a real problem. We see this as like the next generation of spam. Right now, I think I think we've done a pretty good job of like being sort of the thought leaders and like sort of like the experts in the space. So like as this problem becomes larger and groups like the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, like 
run into these issues. We hope to be the, the group that solves these issues for them. We have access to the best data just because we have the most amazing users. And we have access to the, the best insights. So like, uh, we're thinking through using that. And uh, that's sort of where we are looking to like monetize. So like it's a consulting fee or something like that? Not necessarily. We, we want to build products with the insight that we have uh, in a scalable way so that all these different groups that are affected by problems like misinformation can actually take our products and uh, solve their problems. And uh, uh, we can solve those pain so points. So at some point you would put a price on that product. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And now we, it's free, but... Uh, not not for the users, but we, we are like we are starting to charge big groups like the Democratic Party and like the Republican Party like for these sort of services. At some point, you'll be cut loose of UC Berkeley and you won't have access to that free data, right? So we don't actually use any of UC Berkeley's data. So yeah, this is the, for example, the Twitter API is completely public. In terms of getting gathering data, we've built this all on our own servers and our own end. And so we pretty much have access to everything from the algorithm to uh, the data to basically just the entire pipeline altogether. And so we're, we want to scale this out in the way we can, and we want to make it as accessible to all the users as, as we personally can. And can anybody have access to this data that you, if you have your own servers and everything? We're in a unique position because uh, our users have like our users hand classify accounts every single day for us. That's why our models are able to keep up with a changing network. Um, and so, like that's that's our proprietary data, and that's the reason why we don't make it public is because we don't want the bots to learn how we're classifying yes. classifying them as like propaganda accounts. And so, uh, we we'd love to make that public, but like we we're sort of at this like limitation where we're worried that the the adversaries that we're sort of going after might learn if we were to like publish the data sets that we're working with. Have, has anybody asked you about publishing it? Uh, people definitely have. And in terms of adversaries, we our servers get attacked every single day. We we get attacked on Twitter every day. We have conspiracy theory videos on us. It's it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um I would assume that people are gonna want to know more about you guys. Do you have a website or how do you how do you let people get in touch with you? Yeah, so they can anyone can email us uh, at hi at uh, robot.com. That's H I at R O B H A T dot com. And that's a combination of both of your names. Yeah, right? that's correct. Yeah, I, I make my social media incredibly public. Like, uh, so it's at the Ashbot on Twitter, and anyone can send me any question. I, I try to be as responsive as possible. And then, if you want to check out botcheck.me, like you can just go to botcheck.me. It's it's just a website, and then you can uh, and you can download the app and use it. Yeah, you can download the Chrome extension, or you can use the website. We try to make it as easy as possible for our users to use. We, we've gotten recognized for the work that we've done, but I, th- I think from our perspective, it's important to like also say that uh, we're like just getting started we like we've opened up a lab we like uh, it's just the two of us working out of our house right now we've like just gotten started and so like uh, the, the technology that we're working on to, and we hope to release uh, we hope makes a real impact and we know that we're very lucky that the technology that we've already released has made an impact um, but we're really really excited for what 2018 is going to bring and uh, hopefully what we can do in 2018 we're not the only innovators in the space uh, there has been some other like great work out there and we really encourage that because, honestly, the adversaries against us and the adversaries against democracy in general are great. Automation has created a huge industry for adversarial attacks. In fact, there's actually some new research coming out for, like, deep fakes and uh, the kind of lip syncing, which is basically, like, you can use AI to modify videos and modify actual content. And there's already Photoshop out there for images, but imagine deep fakes is basically modifying actual videos. So it looks like someone else's face has been Photoshopped on someone else's other face and you get all the same expressions you get all the exact same like voices wow. and stuff like basically content and media in the future is 
in jeopardy. In fact, really, really dangerous. And so we want to find some sort of way where we can protect all content and make sure the content that you see is completely factual and 100% real. Because it can be very dangerous if an adversary gets access to this algorithm and basically photoshops a celebrity's face on some other celebrity. And you can create these viral trends where fake news is being spread. And you can have some really, really powerful consequences. Yeah, and I guess I guess to add to that, the, the thing that really scares us is we already have people in uh, positions of power that call real news fake news. And the moment that we can't tell the difference between real and fake, we just run into this very slippery slope where those people can call anything fake news and we're not going to be able to prove them wrong. And so we want to build the technology now so that we don't run into, into that problem in the future. Technology has made everything so accessible made news so easy to read, get up in the morning, just checking your phone and having the news app tell you, hey, these are the top headlines. That kind of convenience, that kind of access is something that's incredibly valuable. But it can also be taken in a, in a way that can mislead, right? You have clickbait titles, you have headlines that are completely false, and then the content is actually like completely different from the headline. And so, yes, there's going to be some ways where the technology can be used in an adversarial kind of way. And I think it's up to technology to try to find ways to fix that again and make that completely a a tool that is actually helping humans and helping humanity move forward and getting their information and not just become a a disastrous tool that can be used to mislead. I also think like we're sort of past the point where we can go back in terms of technology, like the Internet, like all these different services are like here to stay. Like our generation like grew up on them and doesn't know a a world without it. Uh, But that being said, I think. I think the way we should be thinking is that with these amazing technologies, we've also created these problems that we we should start thinking about solving now before they become much, much worse. And we're already seeing like the effects of that. But you're both pretty optimistic. Yeah. we One, we do think people need to start thinking about these problems now. And we do think there are solutions in the space. Yeah, we are very optimistic that hopefully uh, there's this amazing quote that goes, uh, in the cave that you fear lies the answer that you seek. That's one of the quotes that like we should sort of share within Robot Labs. And, and yeah, this is a very scary, scary time in terms of technology. But that being said, we are optimistic. We might discover, we might create something completely new that we were completely unaware of by like diving into solving this problem. Okay. Well, thank you, Ash and Rohan, for coming in today. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm going to keep track of you, and I'm going to want you to come back in <laughs> when you uh, solve this problem. Definitely, yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University. We'll be back in two weeks. <laughs>